You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time to think. Up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! Oh! A tie! Down hard! Kobe Bryant! Very deep, yeah. Blocked by LeBron! That basketball will never be the same! And we are back for Hydro Radio. Ben, we are starting today our preview of the NBA 2016-2017 season, and we start tonight with the Atlantic Division. Yes, I could not wait any longer, and we have figured out a uh, format that would lead us uh, about for eight to eight next week, right into the start of the season. I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm proud of you too, Kevin, of course. <laughs> and we have uh, the Atlantic Division, a fascinating division for many reasons. For both of us, maybe the division that catches the most amount of our attention during the regular season because of Toronto, of course, as the team closest to us, the Knicks, clo- the team closest to your heart. So we have those and, of course, the Nets, which are going to be the team closest to the basement. So it's going to be a very <laughs> yeah. interesting uh, season in the Atlantic Division. Oh, yeah, I... Uh I am very uh, curious. Like we're all we're we're uh, in Montreal. We're in Atlantic Division City. Like if we would be, if we would have a team in the NBA, that's where we would play. Uh, that's where our rival cities are playing: Philadelphia, New York, Toronto, Boston. So that's that's the most. That's the most heartfelt division. That's the division I feel the most connected to. You know, so that's why we went in the big in the greater details for that. Let's start with who will finish last in this division. We both agree, I believe, on the fact that the Brooklyn Nets are going to struggle. And again, this year, they're going to struggle and they're not going to get the rewards of a struggling season, saying the actual draft picks next year. Oh, uh, yeah. I have them uh, winning 16 games this year. How many did you have? Uh it's hard for me to, to have the amount of games because I'm not as a as a geek as you are. But for me, I would say <laughs> the, the same amount of games, like a very tough season, if, closest to 10 than to 20. So I would say around 15, 16 would be, I would agree with that amount of victories. That is, and the thing is, their organization got better this summer. They got the real head coach in Kenny Atkinson, who has a very, very good reputation uh, in the league. They got a um, they got a GM in Sean Marks, who has been playing the game balls out since yeah. he since he uh, arrived. But man, this this roster makes me want to cry. Jeremy Lin cannot do everything by himself and he will not bring the Nets to the playoff in his first season. No, that is probably not going to happen. I, he, he, he will be a starter on the Nets. He will be the starting point guard on the Nets. Um, I, don't, I don't even know who their starting five is going to be. Lin, Boyan Bogdanovic, who, who was... I believe the champion scorer in the Olympics with 25 points a game, uh, Randy Hollis Jefferson, and I don't even know who plays four for them. I don't even know who plays uh, maybe Trevor Booker, and 
Brook Lopez is going to play center whenever he's healthy. That is a pretty bad starting lineup. And like you said, they are going to be uh, swapping first-round picks with the Boston Celtics again this year due to the abysmal uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trade in 2012-2013. So they're out of a a good first-round draft pick. Like the, the, The Celtics are awesome. They're only going to get awesomer. The short-term versus long-term conundrum when you're talking about trades and mm-hmm. uh, what's going to happen in the future. We're going to talk about it later when we talk about the Knicks, I imagine. Uh, but, you know, it's something that's biting the Nets in the rear end now. And it's deals that happened what, five years ago, five seasons ago now. So it's, it's crazy, the ramification of bad trades down the line. Let's move to fourth in the Atlantic Division, according to our predictions. We agree as well. I do have Philadelphia. I think it's the last time we're going to agree today on our standings. <laughs> uh, but Philadelphia, even though they did have a good draft pick, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid is uh, predicted to finally make a debut for yeah, the 76ers. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've maybe today. Exactly. So, you know, if the 76ers might have a better season than we anticipate, but there will be growing pains. They will get had to... Before you learn to win, you have to learn to lose, and those three will learn to win together this year, but it's not going to be easy. I have them uh, almost doubling their win total from last year. They won 10 games last year, which I think is an all-time worst for the NBA. And I have them at 19. Um, 20 or 21 would not be uh, an over overreaching. I think it's very possible that they reach 20, 20 wins because of the massive amount of talent on that team. I mean, like, they're oh yeah, they're young, but how much, how how bad can talent that much talent fail? You know, uh, I think head coach Brett Brown is going to lose his job for not turning the team around overnight. Uh, but um, they will have a lot of trade to make. Like They have a lot of talent, but the pieces don't fit together. If Joel Embiid is indeed healthy, I think he's going to start at center, and he is going to alleviate a lot of pressure off Ben Simmons because, according to many pundits, Joel Embiid's not only better than Ben Simmons, he's much better than him. So that's going to be interesting, but um, what are they going to do? What's a little bit uh, underrated is learning the game. And he learned the game two years on the sideline due to injuries and other aspects of the game. He actually got to learn technically, tactically more uh, important part of that game. So it'll be interesting to me to see how that applies for him finally playing in the NBA those years away from the court. You know what? I would not be surprised if he won Rookie of the Year. I would be the least surprised guys of guy in the room if he wins Rookie of the Year. Like um, just to 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 add to your point, uh, Ben, imagine he grown into his body as well, the muscle mass and all that. He will be he's more mature technically than other rookie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's and he's learned a lot. Like he's made a lot of mistakes because he had a broken foot. Um, for people who don't know uh, Joel Embiid, he had a broken navicular bone in his foot, which means he's so big and so strong that he the, the top of his foot cracked. And when a big guy has this type of injury, it's very, very hard to heal. And uh, Joel Embiid took two years to heal that foot to make sure it was in competition shape again. Now it is. I think he could be a difference maker uh, on the 76ers. I think he will be uh, next year. But um, he, they will need to find him some playing time. They have uh, 
Jalil Okafor and Nerlens Noel, two first-round draft picks who I think will not be there by the end of the season because they're valuable pieces that they can move for veterans. Um, the Dario Saric, who was my second favorite player in the in the 2004 draft, is coming to play for uh, the 76ers, and he will need some playing time as well. I don't know uh, how they're going to fit him. They might trade uh, Saric, actually, instead of... Uh, Nerlens Noel, and um, there's a lot of figuring out they have to do. But if they bottom out, they have the per they're, they're landed in the perfect year to have a good point guard. So they got themselves Sergio Rodriguez, uh, 2004 uh, Euroleague MVP. But Sergio Rodriguez is a rather limited player in a um, NBA in an NBA environment. Um, I don't know how the uh, Colangelo family is going to shuffle their board, but there's a lot of shuffling to do with the 76ers. I think they're going to be twice as good as last year, but they <laughs> but it doesn't have mean a that they're going to be good. Yeah, they were so bad. A twice as good as last year doesn't even mean good. Just means still not bad. Still not good. Still bad. They so. <laughs> will. They will be a top ten team, maybe a top five team in the lottery this year. They're just not going to. Uh, yeah. the uh, contenders for Markel Fultz or George Jackson. Now we're moving to uh, what we predict. Well, well, no, what you predict. I have a different one for okay. a third in the Atlantic Division. You predict the Chicago Knicks. Um, I, I mean, the New York Knicks. Sorry, the, the New York <laughs> Knicks uh, with Joaquin Noah Rosa. Uh, why did you put the Knicks in third position? Um, I am very, very uh, optimistic about the Knicks, but the main concern I have with them is injuries. Um, Derrick Rose is known uh, for his history of debilitating knee injuries. Um, Joachim Noah is on the wrong side of 30 and has come, is coming back from a shoulder injury. I like these additions for the Knicks, but they're a lot of money and there are a lot of questions about their health. We mentioned um, the short-term versus long-term. That's where I wanted to go with it. New York mm-hmm. is deciding to go all-in with this season, feeling they might not have the uh, Carmelo in his prime with other good players, so they mm-hmm. went and got them in the likes of Joachim Noah and Derek Rose, like you mentioned, to become Chicago East Coast. But that being said, Knicks, for me, I predicted them higher than third, and we'll get to it. It's a shot. It's a long shot, yes. But what if that change of scenery for those two players, but they find it like that chemistry might be there, but you add good pieces in a new city. What if it gels correctly? And I put Boston in that region because in third position, I mean, for me, Boston did not make any fair move in the offseason. They're over relying on Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder. And I feel like it's not going to be enough. Well, Toronto as well did not make a lot of move. But for me, Toronto is going to be the status quo. Boston is going to regress, and New York will be the team benefiting from this, in my opinion. You think the Knicks are going to be finishing first in the division? I Yes, it's a long shot, but that's what I feel. But it not necessarily means a lot, because I feel like Toronto is going to have a bad season as well. The division is not going to be as good as last year. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. I am just... Um, there's, it's just that there's a lot 
a new pieces on but the here, Knicks. I love these pieces. Here, I think that let's go with the, uh, the 4339 you predict for New York, all right? And if you yes. predict like for Boston 5131 like you mentioned, uh, it's not a lot of difference. The the swing here the pendulum can switch ways and maybe 48 victories is enough to win the division. Doesn't mean a lot, but if it's that the parity is that close, maybe the Knicks can provide with a spark with everything new. But it's a long shot, I agree. I think the prediction by uh, New York insiders Yan Begley was 47 wins. And if everybody's healthy, 40, 47 wins is uh, perfectly attainable. Derek Rose, healthy or unhealthy, is going to make a huge difference next year. Like, they're going to be instantly better. Uh, Joachim Noah, they'll have, to, um, they'll have to manage his minutes very well because uh, I'm not convinced he can go through the entire season on maximum overdrive like he used to do three or four years ago. But you know what? The most underrated addition on the Knicks this year is not uh, Derrick Rose. It's head coach Jeff Hornacek, who I really, really like, who I've been like blabbering about on this podcast for since he got unfairly <laughs> uh, dismissed yeah. from the, uh, from the uh, Phoenix Suns last winter. He's good. He's gonna figure it out. And the Knicks, like I'm, I'm looking at this roster, and there's maybe like three or four guys from last year. I think there's Carmelo Anthony. There's Persingis. oh my god, there's nobody. Um, Kylo Quinn, uh, KP, yeah. uh, and Lance Thomas from last year, and Sasha Vujacic, who's gonna play zero minute at all this year. <laughs> we'll just talk about KP a second. Porzingis is gonna be more. Uh, well uh, supported this year and that's going to be important for him as well it's not going to be as much on him because because of his beginning of the season the hype became more real and he had more expectations and more pressure on his shoulder in the rest of the season and could not necessarily sustain the amount of success he had early on in the season like we talked about a few months ago now he doesn't have that onus of play on him having the likes of not just Carmelo but having uh, Derek Rose and Noah if everybody's healthy that, that's the big if right if they're healthy and brandon jennings on the second unit who is yeah. no slouch but that that was the thinking basically behind phil jackson's uh moves this summer uh, he's like if we want to turn kp into a winner he has to play for a winning team enough of putting all this pressure on him uh but the interesting part well i uh, that i'm really interested in monitoring next year is how are they going to manage his minutes because KP is seven for three. He is, like Bill Simmons said, he was born, uh, he was put on this earth by the the gods of basketball to play stretch five. He was born to play center. And they got a very expensive center for the next four years in Joachim Noah. How are they going to balance this? This is my uh, big question. I think KP is going to play maybe 20 minutes at power forward and 10 to 15 minutes a night at center. Uh, Joachim Noah should be playing maybe 30 minutes a night. And the rest will probably go to Hernan Gomez, the Spanish guy. I like that rotation. I don't know if that's how it's going to turn out. But the, 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 mixed, the, 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 the spread of minutes between Porzingis and Noah is going to be fascinating this year. 
All right, let's move to the second position. We both yes. agree the Toronto Raptors. They haven't made a lot of changes, but they re-signed DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan, mm-hmm. Lowry had the Olympic experience. We'll see if there's anything they can take out of that tournament with their chemistry together. Maybe the flair, that they, the, the, the liberty, the freedom they had when they played with the U.S. Maybe that mm-hmm. brought something that they can carry over, but I doubt it. Uh, what's, with Toronto, they lost Bismack. Biombo has moved on mm-hmm. being a free agent, but leaves more space for JV, which he was one of their best uh, improved player in 2015-16. Well, Bismarck got paid, man. You know yeah, how much exactly. he got paid? He got paid $18 million a year for wow. basically blocking uh, by Orlando for blocking LeBron, yeah. <laughs> shots by LeBron for doing two games in the playoff because... He's not that good of a player. Like no, he, over the season a, he was he was the second center of the Raptors. JV was the first one last year. Pretty much, um, you know me. I'm re- I'm always always dubious of the Raptors' chance. I've made I've made a calculation uh, right before this podcast. They went ten and ten in the playoffs. Granted, they had like heightened opposition in the playoffs but you know you're I right. wouldn't 50 percent is 500 it's 500 you know the famous uh equal loss equal uh wins i would not be surprised if they went down to 41 and 41 and like missed the playoffs by a hair this year and if they do heads are gonna roll there has there will have to be uh a um a scapegoat for showing the same team as last year and underperforming expectation. Uh, and I think this scapegoat is going to be Dwayne uh, Casey, the, the coach who has been on the hot seat for about forever now. He is he is one of the longest tenured coach in the NBA, and he was on like is a guy who's been on the cusp of being fired for the many many years. I'm not in love with um, the Raptors' draft. I think that Jacob Poltel is going to translate uh, to the NBA as a backup center. I like Pascal Siakam from New Mexico State, but I think he's going to be a very um, uh, he's going to be a role player. Uh, they got Jared Solinger from Boston because Solinger um, left um, left because um, uh, Al Horford was coming to Boston. So that was inter- That's interesting. That's going to help them spread the floor. Otherwise. Man, I just don't see any takeover talent. I'm just, I, I, I just can't see a player that the other team's best player won't stop. I had 46 and 36 uh, for the Raptors this year because they kind of figured out a way to win together. They figured out a, a, a playing style that suits them, but. I fail to see an unstoppable force on this team. And if they don't acquire it this year, I think they might slide down a few uh, notches. I had the Raptors ninth in my, pre, uh, in my preseason <laughs> uh, uh, last year. So I was uh, very, very wrong about that. But I just can't talk myself into them being a force again this year. I have 46 and 36, but like it's going to buy them what? Maybe a fourth seed, fifth seed? Exactly. No, it's going to be hard because they don't have that game changer compared to Cleveland or maybe even an Isaiah Thomas in Boston. We'll see. Uh, But for Toronto, that's where they're missing. The leader, the number one example, Kevin Durant. Like they tried, but were not necessarily serious in their attempt to get him, Mm -hmm. which like Golden State. When a team like Golden State or other big names go for it, Toronto does not necessarily have the uh, funds or capacity Mm -hmm. to go get that type of player. But for Toronto, 
when you make it to the conference finals, you push the eventual champions to six games. It's still considered a success, and the expectations, even if you don't want them to, grow. They get oh. higher, and it's going to be hard to just replicate the success they had in 2015-16. I agree. Uh, I agree 100% uh, with that uh, with that statement. I think it's going to be uh, very hard for them to uh, replicate that success. Uh, and they were kind of painted themselves. They kind of painted themselves into a uh, a corner, basically, uh, with that performance because the guys gelled together. Um, Breaking down the roster would have been frowned upon because the roster was successful for what it was. Um, they kind of painted themselves in the corner, and I'm not. Sh I'm not sure it's going to. I think it was a short-sighted. Uh, it was a short-sighted game plan last season for the Raptors, and it might backfire this year, this year or next year. Yeah. But it's going to backfire eventually. No, exactly. The the fact that they're. They're not going to necessarily go all in. They signed the Rosen for long term, but it's still like missing that key piece like we keep talking about. And there's not a lot of them out there. So that's the other question. It's not that they're not trying. It's there's maybe four or five players that fit a description and other teams want them too. So that's where it becomes difficult, where the, the other country of Canada and all that becomes almost a hindrance as well to the negotiations or luring tactics. It's going to be a good free agent class next year. We never know. Maybe like maybe Chris Paul gets really, really fed up with the Clippers and decides to uh, finish his career in Toronto. Uh, otherwise, they would probably have to go with a Euro European player because um, American players have a very tough time to move to Canada unless yeah. they're overpaid. Or unless See they have the no choice and they get traded too. Yeah. Exactly. See the Mari Carroll. Well, even then, like, remember Alonzo Mourning when he was traded for Vince Carter? He yeah, did not was... play one game in Canada. Yep, he exactly. just refused to play for the... Uh, and they, have, they ended up having to trade them for, like, 10 cents on the dollar. I've explained who I see first in the Atlantic. Granted, it's a long shot. The Knicks will pull it off. But if everybody steps down a little, their jump is not going to have to be that high for them to win. But you see the Boston Celtics as winning the... Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference. I would love nothing more than the Knicks, for the <laughs> exactly. Knicks to win uh, that division. I would be ecstatic. It would be like a great improvement. Uh, I think, I just think that the Boston Celtics have a sound team. They have depth of every position. Um, they have improved slightly. They got one of the best um, one of the, the one of the best free agents in the market in Al Horford from uh, Atlanta, who is going to uh, play power forward and center for them. He is going to be from the get-go the number one offensive option. Uh, they got the really intriguing Jalen Brown um, playing forward uh, for them. Um, so uh, he's going to back up uh, the very talented Jay Crowder. What they're still missing is a shot creator that's more than five foot nine, uh, a, a perimeter threat that actually can finish Overland. Uh, I'm sorry, I love Isaiah Thomas. I think he's an absolute spark plug, but he cannot be he cannot be the uh, main scorer of that team. Like if your main scorer is Isaiah Thomas, you're in you're going to fight for your life day in day out. Um, the 
uh, I think the um, Celtics had 48 wins last year. It was a great record. They'd done uh, very well. Um, I think that Al Horford is going to get them at least three wins, uh, three more wins, if not five, if not seven. But eventually they'll have, at the end of the year, maybe Markel Fultz or um, DeAndre, De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky uh, in the draft from the, from the Nets. Or they're going to have to throw the, to back up the, the Brinks in Oklahoma City's uh, backyard for Russell Westbrook. Like, I know Russell Westbrook has just signed for three years in Oklahoma City, but if you're, if you're Sam Presti, like, Danny, Danny Ainge calls you, he's like, I give you Marcus Smart, the Nets' first-round pick, my first-round pick, uh, Jalen Brown, and, I don't know, Kelly Olenek for Russell Westbrook alone. Do you say no? It's hard to say no. I would think about it. I would seriously think about it because it would be a really, really good occasion to start over and to and to make uh, the second generation of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And you're giving up a very good asset who's batshit crazy. So, yeah. so I think like if they do this, and let's say by uh, December or January, I think they're a legend threat to win 60 games. And that they're going to give hell to uh, Cleveland in the uh, in the conference finals. Otherwise, they're going to be the second best team, I think, second or third best team in the East. They're going to be very proud and battle very hard. But I think they're really without a superstar. They're condemned as to finish like proud second. Here's a recap before we move on to the prospect of the week. According to Ben, the Eastern Conference will look this way. The Brooklyn Nets, 16-66. The Philadelphia 76ers, 19-63. New York Knicks, 43-39. The Raptors, 46-36. And the predicted champion by Ben Boston Celtics, 51-31. Mine is the Nets, 5th. The Phil 76ers fourth. I predict Boston third, Toronto second, and the New York Knicks as a surprise champion in the Atlantic Division. Ben, our prospect of the week, our first international that we are presenting on this segment of the show, Frenchman Frank. Uh, let me get this right, Frank Tilikina. Yes, Frank Tilikina uh, from Strasbourg in French. In France, pardon me. He is um, he is a man of mystery, a little bit of a man of mystery. For now, we had a little bit of footage from uh, basketball without borders, but he's another really intriguing and promising uh, giant-sized point guard in this year's uh, in this year's uh, crop. It's a very interesting crop in general for uh, good young players. It's going to be a very strong draft. But particularly for point guard, it's been a couple of years since it hasn't mm-hmm. been that strong. But he can shoot. Uh, the, you know, we're watching videos. You mentioned yes. the uh, uh, basketball with Beyond Borders. There is as well FIBA, a couple of games against Ukraine and Belgium are on YouTube. You can find. And the highlight shows that he can shoot. Yes, he can get into the paint and finish uh, with his physical, uh, like he's six foot two, so he's not that small. He's not either a giant as well, but he can shoot. He can drain. And he has a looping type of three point, reminiscing maybe a bit of a. 
uh, Steph Curry, but not as pronounced, but he does loop the ball for the three points, but he's very accurate on his shot, and he can shoot for point guard. I, what I like is that he can shoot off the dribble. Um, shooting off the catch, you will find guys who can shoot off the catch day in, day out. Like There's always going to be a good catch-and-shoot player in the NBA, and he is he can shoot off the dribble. He can create his own shot, which is really rare, like, which is a really rare talent in the NBA. It's something that uh, Markel Fultz, which we discussed last week, can do also. Uh, but Markel Fultz can do everything, so that doesn't count. But yeah, He's um, pretty much good at everything, yeah. What I like about Tilikina is his uh, physical profile. He has a seven-foot wingspan. He's he might be not the most imp like physically impressive point guard, but like his arms are seven foot long. He has the arms of a seven foot guy, and that was going to make him a monster on defense. He's a very fast guy on the course. He runs fast. He has long, great, grateful stride. He uh, he's he's got very good point guard skills too. He can dribble. He can pass the ball. He can run some sets. Yeah. And the most interesting aspect, even, is going to play in Pro A in France this year for Strasbourg, who I just verified uh, lost in the finals of the French league last year to Lyon Villeurbanne uh, in a very, very close uh, and he was the best, series. He was named the best young player of that season in 2016 as well. So, very interesting prospect of the week here. We're talking about the best young player in the French league in 2016. He's going to be a top 10 pick uh, unless unless they find him like a very bad uh, flaw. That they unless they find him, he's actually because, you know, he's from Ronald descent, born in Belgium and he's French. Maybe he's actually older than who knows, uh, but he wasn't brought up in Rwanda. So maybe that what we've seen in the history doesn't apply for him. And he looks young. He looks he yeah. looks like uh, he looks like a very uh, he looks very um Teenage. He looks his like age. He, he has a baby face, you know. So I, I, I would tend to believe like he's 17 or 18 years old. Yeah, exactly. So and he's uh, so we'll, we'll see. That's very interesting. All right, Ben. So that's our Atlantic Division preview. And uh, which one do we have on the docket for next week? Uh, let me verify. I know exactly uh, what is the division. I just don't know the name. Uh, it's wait. Give me a second here. Uh, Uh, it's the division with the. Uh, I know there's the central division, but um, that's not it. That division, like, it's gonna be. Wait a second. National uh, basketball. It's gonna be uh, the southeast division, uh, featuring the Atlanta Hawks, the Charlotte Hornets, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, and the Washington Wizards. And until next week. Have a great basketball. Yes, sir. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. <laughs>